You wake up. The sun is just starting to peak over the horizon. And the light filters through your eyes and draws you out of that nice, deep sleep you were in. It's cold, and you curl up under the blankets trying to hold on to the last remnants of that dream. It's Thursday, which means it's drill day, and you know you have to get up earlier than usual. So you kiss your wife on her forehead, roll out of bed, and put on your clothes. But first, and always, coffee. Of course, coffee takes a little bit longer than it used to these days. You have to grind the beans manually. You managed to trade somebody a couple weeks ago for a hand coffee grinder for camping. And you have to boil the water over a fire pit because, well, there hasn't been running water in months. And of course, it's also just cold because, well, there's no power either. You never thought this would be how your life would look. But here you are. And it's been okay. You keep your family entertained with board games and cards. Your kids are doing homeschool, and your wife is being a total champ about it, really taking care of the family. It's 8 o'clock, so you turn on the radio. Listen for the chit-chat. Doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on, but that's kind of the point. What you're looking for is some of the code words, and you check your radio sheet, and this week, top hat means all clear. And if there's trouble, they'll say dregs. And the chit-chat's going back and forth, back and forth. And Tony, from a couple blocks over, tells a story about finding a top hat in a store the last time he was in the city. And you nod, turn off the radio, and head out the door. About half a mile down the street, the rally point's forming, and your neighbors are all gathering. It's drill day, so of course you start with some P.T., Few laps around the neighborhood, push-ups, sit-ups, rifle PT, as your friends used to call it. And then you hear it, off on the horizon, a distinct crack, then another, and another, and they're coming faster now. You know what that means, but it still sounds far enough away that it's probably not that big of a deal. Probably. You look at the neighborhood leader, he looks at you, and you both nod, and you NPT early the day and start heading out for the edge of town. Your assigned post for the day is on the northwest corner by 2nd Street in May. And you climb the stairs and find the two who are already sitting up there, and they're just doing inventory for the morning. There's plenty of ammo, binoculars, night vision gear, even a FLIR thermal camera they picked up and trade a few months ago. Things are looking pretty good, they say and they start checking out for the night. You look at your radio sheet, check your call-in times, and think to yourself, this wasn't the future you expected, but it's where you're at, and you're going to make it. You're all going to make it. There's no other choice. So you settle in for the watch and think about your family, how much you love them, how much you want to see them have a better future than this. Welcome to Scenario X. Now, if you've been with me for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Scenario X, whether it's been in an article or in a live stream or other interviews, but I've never really dug into it. So today on The Everyday Marksman, we're going to talk about Scenario X. So welcome 
I'm Matt. I'm going to be your host today. And our website is everydaymarksman.co. There you're going to find today's show notes, our YouTube channel, our social links, and our awesome community of marksmen. I'm glad you could join me today. So let's get into it. Scenario X is a fictional disaster situation that I first started writing about a few years ago when I started talking about load carriage. And I did this because I needed some kind of situation to imagine why I would actually have to start walking around ever in load-bearing gear and plate carriers and and carrying a rifle. Because let's be honest, day-to-day life, that's not very realistic. But I've always kind of dropped hints and thoughts about this. I've never dug fully into why the situation is what it is and some of the nuances that are there. And I'll admit some of this has come about because of a conversation in the Marksman Discord server where we were debating points back and forth. So I think it's time we had a serious talk about this. It's a fictional situation based on my own experiences growing up, getting hit with hurricanes in South Florida, living through blizzards and wildfires out west, and observing other natural disasters around the world and the country over the years. Uh, So let's set this up. (laughs) You live in a suburban neighborhood outside of a mid-sized city with a population in the hundreds of thousands. Your town is smaller but attracts a lot of professionals who commute to the city due to good schools and good affordable housing. It's a distinctly middle-class life with cul-de-sacs, green yards, and church on Sunday. Now, about two months ago, an unprecedented storm system ripped through the region. The first indicator to you was losing the electrical infrastructure. Now, that happens from time to time in everybody where you lose power for a couple of minutes, a couple hours, even a day or two, but the power just never came back on. And later, you found out that some areas had just been totally flattened with windstorms, rendering entire communities uninhabitable. Your local government has all but shut down. It just doesn't have the budget and infrastructure to deal with this kind of widespread damage. They managed a few electrical repairs with parts on hand, but they didn't have enough to bring everything back on consistently. You've been dealing with rolling blackouts ever since. Now, state and federal resources are primarily focused on the city, which started devolving into chaos within a week after the storm. So this is where you're at. And since then, things have gotten progressively worse. You know, the first few days were no big deal. You convinced your kids that it was like going camping, but at home. You had a stash of food and a deep enough water supply to keep a relatively comfortable life going. The main issue was keeping everyone else entertained. And as the first week rolled by without recovery, things began getting more dire. Most of your neighbors ran out of food by the fourth day. Now you had at least a month's worth of food starting out and enough supplies, but you were afraid to share it lest word got around that you were some kind of prepper and could just supply everyone in the neighborhood. The local grocery stores are a madhouse. Well, they were a madhouse. Would-be shoppers scrambled to grab what food they could that wasn't yet spoiled from the lack of power. Violence was common between desperate individuals just trying to feed their families. And nobody could pay for anything because, well, no power. After two weeks, things just kept getting worse. The little solar power shortwave radio kept on hand is telling you that urban areas are overwhelmed. Hospitals are beyond capacity. And they're starting to see people succumb to the second-order effects of power loss. Because while there's no environmental controls in homes, 
There's no refrigeration for food or medication. Things are expiring. There's no way to get a refill. The water is untreated, mixed with raw sewage. And after a month, most people are fleeing. Migrants from the urban and decimated areas have been passing through and setting up camps in nearby parks. You hear stories about lawlessness and desperation as this thin veil of civilization was stripped away. Your neighborhood is mostly a ghost town. Now, rumors have been circulating but a group of criminals taking advantage of the minimal government authority in the area. Now, the stores have long since been looted, so these groups seek suburban neighborhoods who haven't really been accustomed to hard life and see them as ripe for the picking. In the months since the disaster, you've built up connections with about 35 of your neighbors who stayed behind. You've talked, coordinated, and come to the conclusion that you're all better off working together to get through things than trying to do it separately. A handful of your group has military experience, scattered between logistics, combat arms, maintenance, and other specialties, but not near enough. Amongst your group, you've got a smattering of small arms, ammunition, binoculars, observation gear, medical supplies, radio equipment, and common tools. Now, the wolves haven't arrived at the gate just yet, but you want to be ready, should it ever happen, when it happens. Now, the stage is now set. Now, this is scenario X, and I want to be clear about why I talk about this one, because a lot of people in the gun world tend towards the boogaloo, or I'm going to go to war with the government, or all kinds of other wild stuff, and let's be honest, like that's fun to think about from time to time, if you're certain personalities, but the reality is we should be thinking more about a realistic situation, in which case we have to protect ourselves. Now, this whole scenario is merely just a stand-in for any kind of disaster you can think of. It doesn't have to be a storm. It could be a pandemic or a riot or the collapse of society or the zombie apocalypse or, or anything else. The real root of it is that normal lines of supply, authority, and societal consequence are no longer present. And in order to sustain life, you and your group now are more or less on your own. And I emphasize your group because nobody's getting through this alone. This is a difficult place for most people to imagine. So much of civilized society works as well as it does because of a shared sense of identity and understanding of consequence. In scenario X, legal consequences went right out the window. And we're all effectively making up our own rules. This whole scenario is just a backdrop for the other decisions you and your group now have to make. Things like defensive posture, profile, lines of communication, equipment, and more are all things yet to be decided. Just because things look and feel bad does not mean it's time to break out the plate carriers and start laying ambushes for anybody who comes by your neighborhood. That's not setting yourself up for success. So I want to talk a little bit about defensive conditions because this was a topic that also came up in our Marksman Discord server. And this does deserve an entire separate post to itself, but I want to touch on it here because it is important to the conversation. Most people are somewhat familiar with the way that the U.S. government implements defense conditions or DEFCONs. Movies love to make a big deal out of this, make it dramatic when the president goes from DEFCON four to three to two to one, or, or if it's Transformers, they go to DEFCON Delta. That one's worth a giggle from, from me. 
Now, there are other ones of these. There's FPCon, which is force protection condition. And there's Redcon, readiness condition that I've seen. And I'm sure there's a lot more that I can't think of at the moment. And the point of these is providing a quick way to disseminate posture. When I was in the nuclear business, moving to each level of DEFCON came with a set of procedures unique to my weapon system. And in other parts of the military, a DEFCON change came with different procedures. The point was that each increasing level was a change in posture to be ever more ready for war. Now, I'm not sure if you're actually familiar with DEFCONs. I'll give you the high-level view of this because I think it's important. Now, there are five levels we're talking about. Level five is the lowest. Level one is the highest. So DEFCON five means normal readiness. Carry on with your day-to-day life. That doesn't mean you're not implementing security procedures or anything like that. It just means that things, things are normal. DEFCON 4 means heightened awareness. Be alert. Strengthen your security measures. Be a little bit more careful. You know, you don't have any indication that anything is actually going on, but you're just being careful. DEFCON 3 means conflict is possible. You've gotten some indication that there could be something brewing, so you're stepping up, you're increasing your readiness level. DEFCON 2 means conflict is likely, and you're being told to prepare for Conflict with little to no notice. DEFCON 1 means the fight is imminent. War has already started. And you need to respond immediately. Now I think this system has value in Scenario X as well. Because while the general feeling of things suck right now is pervasive in our situation, you don't always need to be on war footing. In fact, in a lot of situations, such as connecting with other neighborhoods and communities where discretion is the better course of action, you probably don't want to be overt, and that means being concealed. And by my estimate, if Scenario X was to actually happen, I would think probably 90% of your time is going to be spent dealing with the day-to-day, such as medical care, cooking, logistics, teaching uh, teaching the kids, just taking care of families, and just getting by through life, with, you know, normal stuff. The fighting you know, will happen if someone wants to challenge your community and take your stuff or harm your families. That's where the fighting's going to happen. But I don't think that's actually what's really going to be a problem. Now, just as the military, you have to pick up on specific threats before you start raising your posture. Because if you start raising your posture before you pick up on a threat, then it looks like you're gearing up to be aggressive. And that's also not something you want to do. But this is why we're going to have another conversation about it. So what's going to come next out of this whole Scenario X DEFCON conversation? The big takeaway today is that you've got the backdrop and you should have an understanding that the defensive postures we're going to talk about are separate from the situation itself. The situation is a backdrop, the DEFCON and the postures will come from as a result of things within the situation, specific things. And I'm going to discuss a lot of aspects of how to handle this uh, from different angles. Now, we're going to start with better defining our community defensive postures, then progress towards structure, skill set, and equipment for your group. So this will be a longer series of episodes based on a lot of conversations I've been having and things I've been reading about. And I think it's time that we started talking about it. So with that, stay tuned. And that's going to go ahead and end today's episode. I appreciate you listening. Make sure you come back and check next time. In the meantime, make sure you come by everydaymarksman.co at our website. And if you're not a member of the email list, I encourage you to subscribe. Subscribers to the email list do get to join the private Discord server. 
uh, as well as getting all the inside tips and get to interact with other marksmen in their area. It's a really cool community we've got going on there. So it's the only call to action I've got for you today. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch you next time.